I just want to tell you about Kathy Murphy. She was raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. She attended Harding University before moving to Nashville. In the Music City, she met the love of her life, Dean. The couple decided to move to Denver, where they had two children, Maddie. Where's Maddie? Is she still here? Maddie and Jesse. They have been members of Bear Valley for 30 years, and Kathy now serves as an elder's wife for Bear Valley, where she enjoys the opportunity to serve. Over the years, she's taught the first grade level class and spoken at girls' camps and ladies' events. She's gone to Russia several times for short-term mission work. Can you speak Russian? You're going to give your lesson in Russian. Her passion lies with Christ and strengthening his church and spreading his word. She's also written three songs. I think she should sing them for us before she starts her lesson. She's got a beautiful singing voice. She, she's the most caring and empathetic person. And she is a nurse, even though she's not technically a nurse. She can nurse you back to health. It's funny because thinking back on meeting Kathy the first time was five years ago. We came to the lectures for the first time and met Kathy in this room. And we stood here and chatted for a good, good little while. And I remember going home that evening and telling John, I can't remember her name. She's one of the elders' wives, but I think we're going to be good friends. And we have been. I've been very thankful for Kathy. So come speak to us. Are you going to put this on? or? Okay. Thank you. And now it's working. <laughs> well, that was nice. On the necklace. That's what we need our daughters for. <laughs> the man was 75. And he was in the last days of his life. He'd entered the hospital eight weeks before with complications from ALS, not knowing that this was the end. But as things declined, he was completely alert in his mind. That's one of the cruelties of ALS. Your body goes, but your mind is just as alert as it always has been. He made the decision himself to come off the life-supporting oxygen so that his family wouldn't have to make that decision. But before he took that step, he decided to wait until the gift that he'd ordered for his wife arrived because he wanted to give it to her for her birthday. He also wanted to make sure that the um, expensive hearing aids that he had were going to be given to someone who needed them, that couldn't afford them. A few details like that. He still had the use, a little bit of use of his right hand, and he spent his time writing notes to family and friends and even the nurses, encouraging notes. He wrote notes to the nurses telling them the importance of obeying God, doing what's right, leading a good life. He wrote these notes even knowing that he wasn't going to be around to share in their lives. He, um, you might think that all this was a frenzy of good behavior because he knew he was about to die. But at his funeral, that was proven not to be correct because his community, his friends, his family indicated very clearly in the words that they spoke that that was not the case, that this was just the man that he was. Now, this man was flawed. But it was what was in his heart. There are many faithful family members that he has left in his wake. 
And when someone pointed that out to him before he died and said, you know, this is going to be your legacy that you've left behind. He said, no, that's not my legacy. That's God's legacy. This man was my father. You know, have, have we thought about how we're going to die? Especially, you know, maybe not, especially the young ones in this room. But really, you know, it's not better to think about how we're going to die. It's better to think about how we're going to live. The daily decisions that we make, the interactions we have with other and de- others in determining whether or not our love is shining through. We're all flawed. Romans 3.23 tells us that. But it's a matter of our hearts. You know, Christ did have time to think about how he would die. He always knew that. He knew that he would be sacrificed for the sins of the world, but yet he made the decision anyway to help create this world. Now that's a kind of love that we cannot really get our hands around. Yet that is the kind of love that we are responsible for constructing our lives around. You know, love is the basis of everything. I want us to look at the greatest commandment, which is, this particular text is listed in all four of the Gospels. We'll look at the one in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And if you'll recall, the Pharisees were constantly trying to trip Jesus up. In this particular instance, there was a Pharisee, very, the text tells us, is very learned in the law. And he, was, he had chosen a question that he felt would really test Jesus. And hearing this, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And we can note that this same concept echoes the same command given in the Old Testament from God to Moses in Deuteronomy 6.5. So we'll see that that despite the changes between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant after Christ came, the foundation of God's love for us and the love He requires from us is never changed. In fact, if our foundation isn't strong enough, our whole structure is going to fail. And that's what we're going to talk about for a little bit here. If we'll look at our text in 1 Corinthians 13, is this too close to me? Is it echoing? Okay. Um, and Carl has already talked about the agape love. But if we're talking about the foundation of love and we're looking about the type of love God has, I I think that the best definition of agape is like the love God manifested 
when he sent his son as a sacrifice for us. John 3.16. And part of this discussion of the most excellent way in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is following Paul's admonishments in the preceding chapters here. He has, he has had, as, as Carla also mentioned, he has had to hit them with issues of unity, moral concerns, corrupt worship, and the misuse of the spiritual gifts. You know, the first verse in this chapter is a discussion, is, is you know, following up on the discussion of those gifts. And the fact that if he, he's, he's taking the, the speaking in tongues gift and using it as an example. He's creating a word picture. And he said, you know, if you're speaking in tongues and you're not using it in the correct way, you're really not worth anything more than an irritating sound. And as Christians, we don't want to be worth nothing more than an irritating sound. You know, I want to stop and note here that although we do not have supernatural gifts today, we all do have gifts. Paul hits that so many times in his letters in the New Testament. And we are expected to use those gifts to glorify God. And this is a critical aspect of our love, um, our love for God and our love for others. You know, um, this text is just as important to us today as it was to them. Um, There are consequences for not obeying the command to love because the absence of love means separation from God. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that. God is love, and if you do not love, you cannot be with him. That being said... Looking at the text in um, 1 John 4, you really can't discuss love, I don't think, without going there. So we're going to look at that for a minute. It's a beautiful passage. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Here's the part we just talked about. But whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. But this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son to the world that we might live through him. That's the salvation piece. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And as we go down here, there is some really, really good stuff in the rest of that chapter. I urge you to read it over and over again. Um, We love because he first loved us. Verse 19. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
The gifts of God's love as well as the commands are manifest in this text. Love must be our foundation, our love for God and our love for others. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Dunn. Um, God's plan for us has always included action. There are action words throughout the Bible. The theme in Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, repeated throughout the Bible and by Jesus himself, love the Lord, walk in his ways, and serve him with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's all of us. Love is in the action, our actions, and not just our words. And Christ is our ultimate example, obviously. But I'd like for us to focus for just a minute on the upper room. Christ knew he was about to die. These were his last moments, guys. And what he chose to focus on teaching his disciples was love in action by humbly washing their feet, an act of service. It's a choice to be humble. It's a choice to put others first. And it doesn't come naturally, especially in today's culture. We are bombarded with a culture focused on me. This is the world we live in. This is the world we raise our children in. I recently saw a commercial that sort of encapsulates this concept. It said, all I know is that when I choose me, I'm better for it. You know, Paul teaches us in Romans 12, 1 through 9, that we are to be transformed from the pattern of this world. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer you your bodies as living sacrifices. And he uses that same phrase, living sacrifices, several times in his letters. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, in verses 6 through 8, he's talking again about our individual gifts. And we won't take the time to go down and read that. Do that yourself. But he is once again talking about using our gifts. And in verse 9, he goes down and he makes a point of talking about how our love has to be genuine. The use of our gifts and the acts and the things that we do. So these actions we do have to be done in love, genuine love. But it is clear that service is the very heart of Christianity. 1 Corinthians um, 13.5 gives us a list of, same, not time to move yet, gives us a list of action phrases for love. Patient, kind, 
It's not jealous or envious. It doesn't brag. It's not proud or arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily provoked or easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. I think that's one of my most favorite ones. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And it never fails. Now, a construction term that I've come across creates a fantastic word picture that I'd like to share with you. It is called sistering. Imagine a structure that has sagging or twisted or cracked either floor joists or roofing joists. So you have your structure in danger, right? As I understand it, it is effective to add an extra joist right next to it. That strengthens it. Sometimes an extra joist is added on both sides of it. To me, this creates a beautiful word picture of what we can be to each other in Christ and how that we can how we can strengthen each other. I mean, Galatians 6:2, Paul tells us to carry each other's burdens. You know, um, it's a beautiful picture of us as Christian brothers and sisters providing strength, reliability, support, relief, and stamina to each other through this often very difficult life we live. Applying the sistering uh, sistering analogy to our lives as we look at God's design for us, because he has a design for us to encourage each other that's incredibly important to his plan. When life gets hard, 1 Corinthians 13 gives us these practical descriptions of love that help mold us and that make us want to encourage each other to help keep our church family strong. God designed us a system for our encouragement. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, and who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. As we continually seek to love as he loved, he comforts us, and we in turn comfort each other. Any day, we can pick up our phone and scroll through the news feed. And aside from all the political angst that's constantly going on, this is what we see. Just this week, North and South Korea are launching missiles. We've got horrendous fires going on in the West and up in Alaska. Endangering the, world, endangering the world's largest trees. We've got gymnasts testifying to their physical abuse. This week we've been told that one in every 500 American residences, residents sorry, have died of COVID. I saw this one news headline. Adults are throwing fits in restaurants, 
at home, and on planes. Blame it on the pandemic. You know, my husband actually witnessed one of those fits this week. He's unfortunately been traveling a lot in the last week and a half. Um, And they were on the runway, not just the tarmac guys. They were on the runway. And some dude in the very back of the plane threw a fit. And they had to turn all the way around, go all the way back, and have the gentleman escorted off the plane. That's the world we live in, guys. Yeah, it can be hard, but that's why we shelter each other and encourage each other. We lean on each other for support. We also lean on each other for personal accountability. James 5, 6 urges us to confess our sins to one another. This is the accountability piece of our Christian walk. Now, culture tells us, sorry, my mouth gets so dry. Um, Culture tells us that we can do it all ourselves. Not only is it all about me, but I can do it all by myself. And it's a constant battle, I think, as Christians, for us to, to give it up to God and to submit to his plan and also to submit to the loving support of others. I mean, this is, but this is such an important part of encouragement, and it's a critical aspect of love in action. And maybe this accountability thing where, where we're confessing our sins to one another or confessing our weaknesses to one another or confessing our faults to one another, I think this piece of the encouragement design is maybe the, one of the things we're really afraid to utilize. And I will admit to you that, that it's, it's hard for me. Um, but I want to give you a personal example. Let me check my time here. Okay. I want to give you a personal example of the, the sistering thing real quickly here um, in action. Five years ago, my daughter came home from Harding, dropped out of medical school and came home from Harding with some some medical concerns. We didn't know what was going on. It took a year, a roller coaster year, to get her diagnosed. Um, We had one uh, neurologist telling her they thought she had MS. We had another one telling us, um, you know, we thought thought it was all in her head. Finally, the Lord led us to a rheumatologist who was like, no, something's really wrong. And ordered a whole series of MRIs that normally wouldn't have been ordered. Um, Sent her to a a neurosurgeon who who was honest enough to admit, I don't know what I'm seeing. And sent her to a neurosurgeon um, at Craig Hospital. So four years ago, she had a surgery that was 10 hours long. Possibility of lower body paralysis if anything went wrong. It's unnerving. But during that day, at least 30 members of this church came and went and sat with us during that day. Encouraged us, supported us, gave us the stamina to get through that. And two of my friends who knew that I didn't have family that was able to travel to be with me that day, 
they stayed from the crack of dawn until that surgery was over. That is what I'm talking about, sistering in action. That is God's design, guys. This next part of the talk is like a passion of mine. Love needs to be a draw to Christ. It can be a draw to Christ. It must be a draw to Christ. We are to bring others to Christ, and we have to do it through love. Bringing others to Him, I believe, is probably the greatest service required to us by God. You know, Paul certainly turned his life upside down to focus on his mission efforts after he was met on that road by um, by Christ. And he did so at significant cost. 2 Corinthians 11, 24, 29 talks about all the things that he suffered. But we can tell from all the books that he wrote that he led from his heart. He was all about love, whether he was admonishing, whether he was teaching, or whether he was encouraging. It was all done with love. And I tell you guys, this world is starved for love. We've talked about the difficult world that we live in. This world is starved for love. Um, There is a section in um, Colossians 4 that discusses, you know, the holy life of the Christian. And it echoes the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5.22. And if you look... In, in, in all these texts, all these good qualities of the Christian, they're all bound together with love. But also in the Colossians text and in Thessalonians 4.10, Paul notes that we as Christians must be aware as to how we behave towards outsiders. That we should always win their respect, that we're always being watched what are people seeing? That always needs to be on our minds. I mean, I know I cringe when I look back on my, you know, not best, what would Jesus do moments? And I think, you know, what would a different approach or a different attitude, you know, it might have made a difference. Um, others seeing love in our lives is the path to sharing Christ with others. And and as we've talked about, we each have different gifts that we're going to use to win others. Paul talks about how we each use different gifts to win others. But love first is what we need to keep in focus. Um, I think we've probably all heard the phrase, meet people where they are. That concept um, can be used in business context. But I'm addressing our approach to people outside Christ using that phrase. When I looked it up on the Internet, there were results using meet people where they are for both business, psychological, and spiritual applications. But I found this description that I thought was really good across the board as to how you know, what the concept means. Bridging the gap between your own expectations and where the other person is coming from. It means intentionally listening. And I think that is so important, the listening piece, to understanding their values, needs, and desires. So we need to understand the people that we want to teach and maybe modify our approach. 
meet people where they are. In Acts 8, 26, we've got a great example of Philip and the Ethiopian. So Philip approaches him and he asks the question, do you understand what you're reading? So he begins in the text in Isaiah and he teaches in Jesus. Well, I'm guessing if he had said, I'm reading Leviticus or I'm reading Job, he would have still circled back around to teaching the man Jesus. Meet people where they are. You know, I have a personal example I'm going to share with you that's not particularly um, flattering. But I had a friend several, several years ago who was interested in visiting church with me. I think she'd come maybe once or twice. And we'd been talking a little bit. We hadn't had a chance to get into a study yet. I was in the relationship building phase. Um, But she asked me a question. She said, What's your, you know, what's your church's position on infant baptism? Or she may have said something like, you know, do you do infant baptisms? And I pretty much dismissed it as, no, of course not. I, you know, I actually think I said, honey, no. <laughs> that was a prime example. And she didn't come back and visit. That was a prime example of in my immaturity, I failed to understand where she was coming from and meeting her there. And we're all going to make mistakes. And, and, you know, I, we just have to understand from our mistakes and push forward and have an awareness. That's one word I think maybe I'd like to leave you with in this section, an awareness of how our behaviors and our attitudes affect lost souls. Meet people where they are. You know, there's a a phrase that I think we usually uh, connect with the medical field. First, do no harm. But let's look at it in the context of evangelism. How we approach people, what our attitudes are. I truly believe that we, if we are judgmental or if we approach people with the attitudes of, hey, I know it all. They're going to dismiss us, um, they, or they just, or they may pretend to listen, but we're going to be tuned out from that point forward. Um, there was a story. I, I'm going to tell you a story, another personal story. My nephew Ryan, right out of high school, went to um, serve in the Marine Corps. He was out um, in Iraq and Afghanistan. He saw horrendous things and participated in horrendous things. He had several of his fellow Marines die. Um, But I think the thing that affected him the most and the worst was he was very close to and had great respect for his commander. That man died in his arms. And somehow when he was back home, he was visiting church, and somehow that came up in a conversation with a group of of people there in like the church foyer or something. I was not there. This has been told to me. Um, One man commented thoughtlessly, and I know not intentionally, but he said, oh, it's too bad he didn't go to heaven because he was a Christian, wasn't a Christian. So, 
Ron's not a faithful Christian today, and I am not blaming that on that one comment, of course. And I imagine we have all made comments that we didn't know that we made that was not cool or, you know, wish we could take back. But I guess, again, my point is an awareness of judgmental comments and things that might um, turn someone off, turn them away. When we are trying to draw others to Christ, that's not... We want to lead with love. First, do no harm. We have to get out into the community like Jesus did to win souls. And my guess is, as women, we've probably all talked to our hairdressers, haven't we? Or maybe the gals in the nail salon. Maybe the clerk that we see all the time in the store. I mean... You know, you you may have invited them to church. You may have, like, you you know, talked to them about Jesus. That is all good. Or our neighbors. I, I know several of you have really worked with your neighbors. That is great. That is getting out into the neighborhood and into the community. But we need, we do need to develop relationships to be effective in most cases. We need to earn the right to talk to them about Jesus. They need to see in our lives what Jesus is. Hopefully, they will see him shining in our actions, that he's the center of our world. Now, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, that's the verses where he's talking about letting our light shine. I have a good friend that joined a community Bible study as an outreach and used the text in the studies to teach the truth. She took me with her for three years. It was a world of an opportunity to make a difference. Also, I have another friend. She's a teacher, well-known Christian on campus. But she made the decision to be the teacher representative for a club of a controversial club on campus. Her purpose being she wanted those kids to know that they were important, that they were loved. She wanted a chance to make a difference. The results, deep spiritual conversations, and one boy has decided to attend a Christian college. So whatever we decide to do, the point is, is to get ourselves in the position to influence souls outside Christ. Our love for God and for others as our foundation dictates that. Okay, i got to hurry. This is my favorite part. I think I said that about the last section, but <laughs> the power of love It cannot be overlooked. It is so important. The Bible tells us that the greatest commandment is to love, but it also assures us there is power in love. For 2 Timothy 1, 7-8, Paul is sharing with us, or sharing with Timothy and with us in this text, to have a spirit of power and love and discipline, and further, not to be ashamed of sharing the truth. see what God has done in our lives, how he's healed us, how he's put our broken lives back together through this wonderful grace that he's given us. 
and it's probably still putting our lives back together. I don't mean to sound make it sound like it's a done deal, but if we have the courage to share our lives with others as we're teaching them, I think that will make a great difference. And let's not be afraid to do that. It's a gift that they might desire if we make it real for them. Love has the power to protect. The Bible tells us that love serves as an armor against Satan. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. And verse 9, this text goes on to tell us that Christ died so that we could live together forever with him. This is the kind of armor that we have because God wanted salvation for us all. That's a really strong armor, guys. In 1 Peter 4, 8, we are told to love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Think about that. Love has the power to heal. The power of love can bring people back together after hurtful words and heartbreak, even after a long time has passed. The power of love can save damaged marriages. The power of love brings families through tragic addictions or other crises that threaten to tear them apart. The power of love gets us through the crushing loss of loved ones. The power of love will save and maintain the church after COVID. The power of love saves us. You know, the first time I went to Russia several years ago, it took me a day or maybe just hours to to realize that the value of my being there was not in the lessons that I'd so carefully prepared, but just the fact that our group was there to spend time with them, that we took in the effort to travel there to be with them. That's what the Christians there appreciated. We took the time to encourage them. See, the value was in the action. In the oppressed environment that they live in, it's difficult for them to maintain their enthusiasm. No matter how much they love God, and they do. Hebrews 10, 24 tells us to spur each other on. And that's something that we could do for them. Just to love them. And in return, we were blessed with seeing the power of God's love in the courageous way they live their lives and in the way God protects them. So obviously, we don't have to go to another country to make a difference. We just meet people where they are. So thank you so much, ladies, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak today.